0: UK Motor
1: Talk. Well, hi everyone, you're uh, you're reached at the end of what has been a scorching week and now just rain. Uh, I'm sat here with a beer, which is incredibly professional of me, and everyone I think is looking quite relaxed and maybe some of us slightly reclined at home. So I'm Mike, uh, I've got Jim. Well, I to my left, but it could be to anyone's left. You know, who knows? This is, this is Zoom. We're using a Zoom meeting, so it could be anywhere on the screen. Um, I've got Jim.
2: On my screen, I'm above you, so pointing below me is Mr Gates. So good evening. <laughs> How are
1: you all? And we've got Graham there, who's in the bottom right-hand corner. No, I'm, I'm, I'm on the
3: top on my, my my screen, so... It's the world's worst university challenge. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah it's, it's one of those, isn't it? I think if you were watching us now, much like when you watch University Challenge when you're young and you think... I wonder why they sit on top of each other.
2: Well, I watch University Challenge now and again, and I generally understand most of the words in every question. I don't always understand the order in which those words are put together. Uh, but what I much preferred was the, uh, the University Challenge from the young ones. And again, b- because of the way he attacks the contestant below him, I, I quite rightly assume that they were placed above and below each other, because that's what it looks like on the telly. So why wouldn't you believe it?
3: I love the challenge. When you get to my age and the brain is starting to seize up, Uh, you view Mastermind and University Challenge as a sort of obstacle course that your memory banks might want to go through every so often just to try and keep reasonably alert. Compass mentis is the phrase that comes to mind.
2: Well, here we are. uh, did, uh, Did any of you watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the latest series? No. No? No. Perfect. One of the uh, the questions in one episode, which was for uh, for quite a lot of money, was for a million pounds. Which of these? And you can all take your time and think about it and give me uh, give me your answers in turn. Which of these motor racing events took place first? Now you can imagine my excitement, because we're sat there watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and the million pound question is to do with motor racing. So, which of these events took place first? The twenty four hours of Le Mans, the Monaco Grand Prix, the Indy 500, or the Isle of Man TT?
3: I'd go for the Isle of Man TT, because Le Mans and Monaco were both, I think, 1929. Uh, Indy 500 was early 30s, I think, but surely the first race meeting in the world was that on... Uh, Hastings Seafront, or Bexhill Seafront, more accurately, as all the signs as you drive into Bexhill claim. You're choosing E, then, are you, Graham? Don't phone him <laughs> as you <laughs> phone a friend.
2: <laughs> Out of those four, so okay, so uh, Graham has gone for the uh, the Isle of Man TT, Mr. Gates.
1: I would have said Le Mans.
2: So uh, Graham was more accurate with his timings for the Monaco Grand Prix, and. The Le Mans, they, they were in the uh, the early in the late twenties. Uh, the Indy Five Hundred was a lot earlier than you thought. That took place in uh, nineteen eleven or nineteen twelve for its first run. Really? But the uh, the correct answer was the Isle T Man TT. So Graham, you've just won a million virtual pounds. Well done.
1: Mm. Thank
3: incredible. you. Uh, i a pity They're only virtual <laughs> pounds. Uh, but but you 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 have set me thinking because the earliest motor race recognisably such, albeit on 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 road, was, I believe, 1894, the Paris Rouen.
2: Well, I think they, they always said that the first motor race happened very shortly after some, they built the second motor car, which yeah, I'd, uh, sure. I'd like to believe, because that, yeah, that's, that's always th- the that's way. As soon right. as two people get two of something together, the instinct is to race it, isn't it?
3: Well, there was then the, the famed Paris uh, Madrid, which I think got as far as Bordeaux, before so many people had been killed, the French government intervened and stopped the race. And they were so distrusting of the dangers of racing cars, or any sort of cars at that stage, uh, that they were all towed onto a train by horses. They weren't even allowed to drive onto these flatbed trucks and taken back to Paris uh, for their owners to reclaim them, never to race again.
1: I have to say that the most economical journeys I've ever had have been on the back of a flatbed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i remember coming back from santa pod in an rs 1800 and uh, the guy I bought it from i collected it from santa pod which was always a great idea uh, i was following a sierra cosworth home uh, slammed on the brakes disappeared up the motorway uh junction up the sort of the embankment bit at the side off of the hard shoulder when i braked hard because the brakes weren't working at all on one side Ended up getting a lift back home on the on a puddle jumper, as they called it. One of the little um, recovery trucks, but fantastic way to get great economy. <laughs> Whilst we're talking of quizzes, I'm guessing most of the people listening have been involved in some sort of Zoom meeting, uh, which has often ended up with some sort of pub-style quiz. And we did a mastermind round, um, and the, the host researched our, our topic. I chose the Italian job 1969. With the name The Self-Isolation Society. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant. If you think you know a subject, you know they're just going to go for difficult questions. It's a great movie. I watched it again recently. It's still my favourite movie of all
3: time. It was the highlight of the open-air cinema revival last year.
1: Uh, I appreciate that we'll we'll go off topic before we even start here. But in terms of car chase movies, what is your favourite
3: yeah, I think it's 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 got to be American, it's got to be the chase through uh, San Francisco, the Mustang and the Charger, the and uh, having driven some of those streets in San Francisco, I, I just, I thought that was amazing.
1: Predictable.
2: So I would say that, uh, yeah, and it later became uh, an advert for the Ford Puma, didn't it, which I, I thought was quite a well-put-together advert, I did enjoy That, that was one. very, very uh, slick,
1: the
3: way that was done.
2: I suppose for uh, for a car chase film, I don't, I don't, does uh, does Rush count? Because uh, there's some good car chases in that.
1: What well, if that's a car chase film as such? That's a film just about racing, really, isn't it? But I'm yes, thinking that's that's, li-
2: that's literally what racing is. Cars chasing each other round a track. There's there's one bloke at the front, and everybody else is chasing him.
3: I think for a definition of a car chase, it has to be on road or on something yes. other than a race circuit. Ah. Uh. Well, in case we get anybody else come back on that, that's how I see it defined.
2: Well, I'd still go for Rush because the uh, there's the scene with Nicky Lambert driving the uh, um, his uh, driving the the two people's car that they've stopped and given them a hand. So he drives their car. Although again, yeah, he's not chasing anything, so I don't think that. Counts.
1: I just I just don't know if you can call Rush a car chase film. Well, I think that's 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 a stretch. Um, I think you're probably on tiptoes on that reach there. <laughs> mm.
2: I think for, for realism, it's it's probably certainly a lot more accurate than something like Fast and Furious with a three three thousand seven 3,785 gear changes in a quarter-mile race that seems to take 11 minutes.
1: Yeah, that's it. I think they worked out. They'd have to have something like a 36-mile runway. <laughs> to take yeah, the, 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 the to runway go.
2: scene, they, they did work out. It was something like Paris to Berlin was the length of the runway driving <laughs> it that quick. So it, it went on for about three quarters of an hour that segment, didn't it?
1: You know, suspension of disbelief and all that. Anyway, we must get ourselves back to the topic. So, um, first up, motorsport. Now, Formula One is confirming the first eight rounds in July, August, and I think the first weekend. In September, isn't it?
2: Finally, yes. I'm. Uh, I'm very tempted to furlough myself. If you could furlough yourself for weekends and uh, self-isolate for the weekends, that's that's pretty much what I'm going to be doing for uh, for all of those weekends because it's uh, it's been far too long. It, obviously, we had the the events of Australia, and I, there was some ante- the, the fact that they'd all gone there and things were building up. There was the anticipation that that it could happen. It might happen. They were there anyway. Um, of course, at the, the full extent of the the pandemic and the situation wasn't known so they they did their best they that they could at the time and uh, it didn't go ahead but there was a, a frustrating start but nice to have a couple of dates on the calendar because just uh, just like any other industry, any other business, you know, Formula One and, and motorsport is a business, so it's vital for lots of the teams, uh, particularly the teams towards the the back end of the grid and and Williams, which I'm sure we'll get on to in a minute. Uh, it's it's vitally important that they get out there and start racing um, and get get some money coming in and get some activity going on, uh, so they can uh, they can survive into the future. But no, I I can't wait. I think it's uh, it's going to be cracking, and hopefully the drivers will have that uh, that pent up desire to go as fast as possible and uh, we get a couple of action-packed rounds for the first couple of rounds.
1: All crash on the first corner, I think, as we said before. Um, but oh, so that's a very distinct
2: be... possibility, but that <laughs> doesn't always lead to a bad race in the ends. If you have uh, a few smashes and uh, people at the back of the grid and front wings being knocked off, etc., a few charges through the field, that's always entertaining.
3: Yeah, I rather, rather like this notion of uh, uh, where the, the races are in pairs, that the first race be... Uh, a conventional race, you know, the fastest in, in, takes pole and leads the race, etc., etc., um, and then they do a reverse grid for the second race. And you know, it's it's an idea that's been floated before, it's not new, uh, but it would certainly make for some uh, challenging racing. Uh, it will be worth seeing, I think.
2: Well, ultimately, I think as long as the rules are the same for everyone, then it becomes fair. Things that I, I maybe dislike about uh, reverse grids are the random element of it. So where the name gets or the number gets drawn out of a hat, a la British Touring Cards. So mm. you could finish 6th, 7th, 8th, I think, is it down to 8th, they reverse the grid. So y- you can finish 8th and be rewarded for it. Um, yet somebody who finishes higher up, it's penalised, or you can have one place out, and you can easily have a championship decided. You know If you troll your championship rival home by half a tenth yet in the next race you're starting six seven eight places apart on the grid that's that's neither fair nor consistent because it's not like if the situations are reversed and in the next round you finished a tenth ahead of him you might end up starting next to each other on the grid because the the number that was pulled out of the hat was different so as long as there is consistency I mean the one system that was rumored at one point was everybody starts in every position throughout the season, near enough, because quite often we have 20 races and 20 drivers. So every driver gets a go starting first, second, third, fourth, and so on, all the way down. Um, Again, whoever draws a short straw for starting 20th at Monaco would probably complain about it. But a (laughs) a reverse grid, I think, as long as you reverse the whole thing, so whoever wins starts 20th and all the way back up, maybe award the points down to a a lower finishing position so that that 20, if you go from 20th to 10th let's say you do at least get some reward for that or or points all the way down to last place who knows again as, as long as it's consistent the the point system has been well and truly shaken up and and allowed Various drivers to score more points than anyone else in the history of anything by virtue of turning up rather than winning races as they had to in the old days. So Do you
3: possibly have Bernie on your direct dial on your phone? It's, it's 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 positively Machiavellian. It's the sort of thing he might well have dreamed up for uh, the benefit of the of the entertainment of the crowds.
2: Uh, yes, but it's as long as the same for everyone, then the competition then becomes fair. And it is down to get lots of people occasionally say they dislike the randomness of uh, of a wet race, you know, wet track or a drying track, etc. But the conditions are the same for everyone. It's everybody's on the same track on the same time, uh, in the mm. same condition. So it's it's up to you to manage it and do your best and and see which way you go with it. So again, just just as long as it is fair and consistent, I don't think there could be a too much of a cause for concern. And if it shakes it up and, and leads to some entertainment, it's always entertaining watching Lewis, Max, Leclerc, anyone like that charge from the back of the grid to try and get up to the front. That is without a doubt entertaining. So, so why not have the three or four of them scrapping to A, outpace each other, but B charge all the way through the field and outpace everybody else as well.
3: Yeah, I I, I must admit, I like uh, when uh, some drivers are are way out of position. Uh, The the fight through the field is always great fun to watch. Uh, And you mentioned in wet races, well, of course, it's it's always been, I think, the mark of the great drivers are the ones that, um, I was going to say, come to the surface, that's an unfortunate pun, but but whose uh, sensitivity and, and skill levels uh, are best demonstrated in the, uh, on a wet road, in the, in a wet race. You know, Ayrton Senna was very much the case. Uh, Jackie Stewart was very much the case. Lewis has proved to be the case. A lot of the, the greatest drivers were the ones that were really, really spectacular in the wet.
2: Or indeed, uh, every uh, every driver who's amongst the greats occasionally has a, a standout race. So even the drivers you you might not think of as being the best wet-weather drivers still occasionally demonstrate on their day that that they were a head and shoulders above everybody else I was watching the rerun of Suzuka 1994 uh Damon Hill in the Williams and and doing the entire race I think his his left uh, one of his rear tires was sticky at the pit stop so it didn't get changed so he did you know an an entire wet aggregate race on one rear tire which was nearly down to the canvas by the end of it but mm-hmm. how he drove on on that day is is one of the hallmarks as well as his championship and coming close that year and dragging results out of an Arrows and building up Jordan, etc. One of the things that defines him as, as being a truly great driver was that, that one drive on that one day.
3: There's, there's a, a, a commentary, I, I, it's, it's something I spoke to him about some years ago but because I picked it up from, I think, his first autobiography. Um, and he was saying about uh, eyesight, And he had a bet with a friendly F1 cameraman that he could spot him as he drove by at racing speeds. And the cameraman kept kept moving, and Damon kept pointing him out uh, as he was uh, in the race. Um, And it does say something about, you know, it's one of the features of the great drivers, or Formula One drivers generally, I think. They all have exceptional eyesight,
1: I watched we were talking about this uh, the other day, uh, Jim and I, when we were Was probably supposed to be talking about something else. And uh, there was a, a fantastic documentary that was um, exploring how racing drivers see the world and how they see races. And they used an eye tracking uh, system so they could work out where they were looking uh, during a uh, sort of race situation. You could see that they were always at the corner ahead. At any given time, so they'll be they'll be coming up to a bend, but they'll be already looking at the exit of the next one and I think mm. it's incredible to be able to see how fast they think and the the, the conversation brought, sort of took us on to rally drivers and if you have just a a single camera inside the car and just watch a a rally the whole race from just inside from over the driver's shoulder, it's incredible how fast it's superhuman how fast these guys can steer and anticipate and, and Albeit they have, uh, you know, co-drive with pace notes, but it, oh, it's it's it is exceptional.
3: These people are superhuman.
1: Yeah, it's it's mm. it's a talent that that I couldn't uh, I couldn't dream to achieve, um, and something else I couldn't really dream to achieve, and probably the most entertaining thing at the moment for me in F one is uh, Chase Carey's moustache. I don't know if you've seen this, <laughs> but it is a thing of beauty. It's absolutely spectacular um, with a waxed end look at this, tash mm. if, if you haven't seen it you need to google him and just have a look that's a serious moustache
2: if i grew the moustache out and shaved the rest of the beard i, I don't think i'd be too far away from that
3: Uh well the, c- the color variation is enormous mine is closer to his in terms of color but then i'm closer to him in terms of age
1: my beard starts off blonde sort of goes a bit gingery then brown and then gets progressively darker as it goes down so i've got a, a look at not uh, too dissimilar to a badger, I think. I have the <laughs> pure regression of a honey badger in, in my race face.
2: Very excited to uh, to have some Formula One uh, back on in the not too distant future. Moving from real life racing possibly into uh, into sim racing. Uh, much as that's a bit of a swear word on uh, on this podcast, but um, talk about something interesting that's happened on sim racing uh, over the last, last couple of weeks. Uh, well, we've had a few controversies, uh, to put them mildly. Sim racing, what's the crossover with, with real life and how do your skills translate is uh, is a conversation that's been going on more and more over the last couple of months. But what we are now seeing is driver behaviour actions or inactions or whatever it is they get up to in uh, in virtual racing, in sim racing, really falling out into real life. So we've had Kyle Larson who thought that his microphone wasn't on and uh, he made a, a choice of language and a choice of word that was rather poor. Uh, and we had Simon Pagino who uh, took Lando Norris out of the race that they were in rather deliberately. He declared his intention that he was going to take him out of the race and duly and did so and uh, and then we've had daniel apt who uh for whatever reason he uh, he claimed it was for an experiment or for other reasons but instead of sitting in his sim and and racing he uh he he got a ringer in somebody who was a, uh, a very accomplished sim racer to sit in his chair uh in inverted commas and and run a race for him uh, and i mean the the way he tried to cover it up uh, we spoke about who wants to be a millionaire <coughs> earlier and as (coughs) somebody was (coughs) reading out the right (coughs) answers, somebody was coughing, so obvious when you look back at it, well so obvious when you were watching it, Uh, Daniel App's camera of him sat in his his seat working away with the microphone slap bang in front of his face so you couldn't see him, Uh, as, as well as his fellow drivers picking up that the driving style was totally different and that when they were racing the day before he was utterly crap and all of a sudden he got good. They uh, they suspected a bit of foul play. Um but because of that, um Daniel Apt has lost his job. He's he's been fired by the tour, he's been suspended, so that's that's a shortcut for we're gonna fire him once we've managed to work out all the paperwork. Um <laughs> It's it's very interesting. Bearing in mind Daniel Apt, uh, even if you're not a fan of um, Formula E, if you're one of the eight people that watch Formula E, you'll have heard of him. But if uh, if you're one of everybody else on the planet who's never watched Formula E, you might still have heard of the name for for Ab tuning Ab Sport. It's it's a name synonymous with Audi, and and it is his family team. Uh, but he's uh, he's been sacked. So I I dare say using uh, inappropriate racial well horrible words. Um, is certainly a case for the sponsors wanting to pull out. Um, but what do we think about deliberately wrecking or or using a, a ringer, another driver to to sit there and take your place in a race, leads you to losing your job in real life, where you know where the cars aren't real, but the racing is. Is a, is a phrase that's often bandied around.
3: Well, I'm I'm not keen on on sim racing. It, it just leads me cold. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, if somebody in in a pretend race, exhibits that sort of race behaviour. Uh, they're not somebody that you would necessarily want them to be on a real racetrack, where the amount of damage they could do is even greater. Uh, so in in that instance, I mean, I hadn't I hadn't read that story. I'll be perfectly honest, James. But uh, if if that's what he's accused of, the the suspension I I think is quite reasonable. And as you quite rightly say. Um, the uh, sponsors would not be happy about him and given that ultimately it's them that's paying his wages, uh, they will do as they see fit and in this case they'd probably see fit to uh, pull the plug on him. The, the, the irony of the statement coming from a VAG company talking about integrity and things was quite witty though. <laughs> I suspect that's that's maybe
2: why... I, I think there's more, there's more to the Daniel Abbs story than just he did something he shouldn't have done, nor we didn't agree with. I mean, whether whether the plan was at the end of the race, if, uh, if the drivers hadn't worked it out, I mean, it shows the mental capacity that the drivers have got, that A, they've worked out by his driving style that it's not him B during the race one of the drivers phones him while still racing I mean you shouldn't use a mobile phone whilst driving but racing drivers have have such spare mental capacity to do other things whilst racing they uh, they can probably um, pay more attention still whilst on the phone the you know what was his idea at the end you know move the the camera and it, it was this guy and it was to give him a some exposure some publicity or whatever it was but but sort of why do it you know well, there, there were plenty of opportunities for him to get involved was it just that he's no good at it and didn't want his ass handing to him again um but in which case why why turn up at all why not just say no it's not for me i can't get the feel of it i'm i'm no good at it etc because there, there's plenty of big big names in the world of racing who are no good at sim racing uh, so there's, yeah, there's no shame it. in it. It's, it's a very different thing. It's a very different feel. I think lots of the skills do do carry over. You know, we've seen uh, sim racers um, earn wildcard entries in uh, in Race of Champions and and other forms of motorsport and Jan Mardenbra, etc. The, the list goes on. They they start by playing a computer game and, and the skills do translate the other way. Um although it actually appears those that are very good in real life that's no guarantee of being good in a sim whereas those that are good in a sim do appear to be good in real life.
1: In terms of Larson being fired yes, the language, the, the language you used, completely unacceptable. In terms of should you, should you lose your drive if you get caught cheating in inverted commas in a rig I mean in this case I suppose if you were sitting a, a test or something say you were sitting a driving test and you got someone to come and sit there and, and do the test for you of, of course you know you, you'd expect a, the, the sort of repercussions of that too um, but we do know that as as Jim has rightly said that actually drivers that, that can be very good in a sim that will quite often translate to to real life I mean we we talk about uh, games you know simulators games but if you go if you consider Gran Turismo which is which marked itself as being the real driving simulator and you consider the Gran Turismo challenge that uh, that, that Sony created they took a racing driver at the end of their um, competition and put them in a car to, to see what they could do and, and, it, and it turned out that, that yes the skills that he would learned through the, the simulating through the game uh, translated very well into into real life Um, but certainly going back the other way from from being in the seat to being a simulator it it is something different I personally I find it very difficult to to get the sense of speed when I'm driving something in a game in in, in a race rig I mean admittedly I don't have something where um, you know the whole seat would would move around and you, you get that sort of sense that the car is moving around beneath you but to have the the sort of complete lack of of real feedback, I find really difficult. For for you, Jim, you seem to manage to master that pretty well, um, and you you be able to you're able to get into it. But I do, I'll just go barrelling into a corner, carrying far too much speed, and just not be able to feel the inertia or feel the car starting to move away beneath me. I just don't, I don't, I don't feel what the car's doing. And for me, when it comes to the way that I I I drive a car, the you know, the sound, the feel, the vibration, the the G that you're pushing if you're going if you're going tight into a corner the body roll you can feel whether the the tires are starting to lose grip you can feel when they're coming on song really when they've started to warm up you can feel when they're when they're too cold but you just don't really get that in my mind when you're when you're sort of racing via a computer and so I can understand how uh, what would otherwise be great drivers um you know, in, in the flesh and in in the metal and carbon fiber and composite and everything else that uh, that they they become, maybe not able to to translate that back into being able to race virtually. I I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this. I just wonder whether there is a uh, a correlation between people that have grown up playing these kind of games and their ability to be able to professionally drive in these kind of games, versus people that maybe grew up. Um, physically driving a car and then moving their way through cars, etc. how how they how they're able to carry that back or carry forward their knowledge and experience. I don't know. I, I think it'd be very interesting, and it's an interesting discussion to have.
2: Yeah, it's going back to the Gran Turismo thing and the feel. I think a lot of it depends on the the wheel and the setup and the the rig that you have. Lots of the the far more advanced, and and, and I'd looked at um, getting a simulator or a, a rig. A, Proper rig for at home, um, but to be to be totally honest, you could buy quite a nice little track car for the amount of money that you could spend on uh, on a sim racing rig. Lots of the wheels have uh, motors and systems in them that simulate that that level of grip. So the resistance is there if the grip is there, and as the steering loads up, it gets heavier and heavier. And then if the front brakes traction, you can feel the steering go much lighter. And so so the front end you can get quite a reasonable feel for in uh, in a simulator where, of course, you can't get the feel is the back end. as you, uh, The contact points for what the front and the rear of the car are doing, you feel the front through the steering wheel, you feel what the back end is doing through the, the seat of your pants and your own internal gyro for which way your feet and which way your arse are going in compared to each other and where they should be going. And that's, again, where a lot of the, the more experienced drivers... Say that they're they're struggling. If you watch the the Legends Trophy, uh, which Jensen Button won the series championship for, you'd see massively experienced drivers just spinning like a top with with no warning, no nothing. And I was watching it, and I could you could see it was going to happen. But that's only watching it from the outside. Whereas sat in it, they go, oh oh, I had no no feeling that was going to go. They were feeling the front gripping up very well. Um, just put the power down that little bit too quick and and round it goes so that's that's where some of them have struggled but I think it's different driving styles different cars suit obviously some drivers better than others we saw Sebastian Vettel's strengths in the Red Bull which was uh, very counterintuitive in the way you had to drive it he seemed to get on with that a lot better than somebody like Mark Webber who was you know if you look at Vettel and Webber's pace uh, compared to each other over the years. No, no way in hell was Vettel that much quicker than Webber. I, I think they were they were on a, a par for driving skill. Vettel just got on with that car a lot better. It was being driven in a slightly counterintuitive way, but he'd mastered it in the simulator and then could put it into real life. Whereas whereas Webber couldn't. His his instincts took over too much
3: at least mark could make it fly
2: yes <laughs> but now vettel's in the in the ferrari that that isn't driven in the same way he uh, he seems to be struggling so again it's i think it's just what people adapt to and and get good at or practice we saw how uh, how erratic uh, the pace of alonso was when when he started sim racing but i think his his rig was delivered and put together something like 11 minutes before his first race so it was a bit of a voyage into the unknown but he then spent the next week just just practicing 20 hours a day and uh and has been winning races left right and center including the virtual Indy 500 so he's uh he's he's getting there on a virtual triple crown if, uh, if not a real triple crown but I think it's the real Indy 500 he wants to win
3: uh, I think he should be back in uh, in F1, and whether he will be or not is uh, still a matter of considerable conjecture. I personally would like to see him back, but my uh, aversion to Sims is probably a generational thing. We've already issued the fact that I'm uh, considerably older than you are, but also uh, I'm rubbish with Sims. Uh, I had, I t- I really am uh, uh, hopeless at getting a hold of Sims. I drove William's Sim many, many years ago in the factory um two laps of of well it wasn't two laps i drove one lap of monaco uh, and on the second lap i crashed coming out of the tunnel at far too much speed but it was it was great fun but i mean that was uh, uh that was in its day quite a sophisticated sim you got a real shaking up when you hit the wall um mm. and you did feel like it was going to go over um but uh, but no i was rubbish at it and it remains so to this day so i just don't do it
2: yeah, I think I, certainly a generational thing. I remember being at a uh, an SO uh, do in a hotel somewhere. I think it was an evening do, and they, we had dinner and other bits and pieces. But they had a uh, SO mobile one at the time. It was McLarens. They had a, a little McLaren simulator in inverted commas. You know, it was, it was a wheel, but a mock-up of the front of the car. So you got in it and sat down, and there was a, and there was a challenge, and everyone set their time, etc. Full of uh, full of a slightly older generation. And uh, and they rattled out the top three of times, and I think you know the the guys in third and second set a a one minute forty two or whatever it was around Monaco, and I think I set a one twenty one point nine or whatever it was because it was just it was something I was used to, and I think I'd been playing that exact game the day before actually, so I had maybe a bit of an unfair advantage.
3: My grandson uh, encountered at revival last year the um, the sim there. Um, which was the one of the market leaders, I can't remember what it's called, but um, that was set up for um, uh, Goodwood, and he spent a considerable amount of the Sunday that we were there on there. He's six. Didn't want to come off, but uh, at the end he was turning two-minute laps, which I thought for six is, is not bad. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of potential there somewhere.
2: Mind you, at that age, he, uh, he should be in a go-kart by now.
3: Oh, if I could afford one, he would be. Changing the subject very slightly, that it horrifies me that anybody should even consider the idea of a virtual Le Mans, which is, I just find that so bizarre, I, I will certainly not be watching it if it is uh, televised on free to air, oh, sorry but I'm not going to waste my time doing that. <laughs>
2: So, yes, confirmation then that the F1 is uh, is getting going. We've got a couple of rounds at Austria at the Red Bull Ring, then on to Hungary, then on to a couple of rounds at Silverstone, uh, and then beyond. More dates to be added to the calendar as it goes on, and we can uh, we can squeeze things in. So massively, massively looking forward to that. We've got touring cars on the horizon as well. So, again, really, really looking forward to that. And, uh, and a couple of um, MSVT tracks have, have been emailing out saying that track days are
1: open again. They're already open again. Yes, yes, yes. There uh,
2: you know, online driving license scans and uh, virtual briefings. or they send you a video link to the briefing, etc. So you can do all that beforehand. And, uh, and again, as, as we move through things, will it will it speed certain things like that up and, uh, and just make the day a bit more action packed? But uh, we're uh, we're certainly looking forward to getting out in our track car as soon as we can, as soon as we've had a, a spare day, which uh, seems to be at a premium these days to uh, to do a bit of work on it and get it reliveried, we'll uh, we'll be out in it.
1: We did we did uh, go and take a, a quick look at it today, it's sat in our compound, our, our race car as it as it stands at the moment or sits at the moment. It was looking a bit sorry for itself with some rusty brakes and, uh, and some slightly peeling uh, peeling vinyl. So we are looking forward to, to hitting that gate back on it. And yes, it's going to be a case of distancing two people to a garage. So not, we're not going to be able to potentially have the full team like we have before. Um, but to be honest looking forward to getting back out there and and maybe seeing a bit of the sunshine um, before it disappears hopefully it won't be quite as hot as it has been this week <laughs> if we're out there because when you're in in, in your overalls it really is uh, it really is poor i think is probably the the, the way to, to explain it
2: i think well I'm, I'm i'm less worried about us sweating fluids rather more than i am about the car sweating fluids because every time we it does seem to be a ridiculously hot day, and every fluid that's in the car ends up boiling and uh, and spewing out of uh, whatever container it's held in. So yeah, a little bit cooler would be good. But as I said, we've uh, we need to get the car in for for some mechanical fettling and a, uh, and a new livery. Uh, those familiar with the car will obviously know it's quite a, a bright orange, orange and blue, eye-catching livery at the moment. Uh, but keep an eye on our website, UK Motor Talk, where you will see uh, a new livery. Um, Bit of a bit of a classic theme that we're going to aim for. What what it's going to turn out, we're not quite sure. It'll be ambitious and and hopefully from six feet away look half decent. So keep an eye on that.
1: So of course we can't sit here uh, in our own homes and not talk about uh, talk about lockdown because. Let's face it, it's all we talk about now. We used to talk just about the weather, then we talked about Brexit. Um, And now we talk about lockdown. I miss Brexit. (laughs) But, you know, as as garages are starting to go back... Compared
2: to the coronavirus, Brexit was bloody brilliant,
3: wasn't it? (laughs) Hugely entertaining by comparison.
1: But, you know, now things are starting to wake up again, aren't they? You know, garages are going back, dealerships are going back. You can go and buy yourself a car again. And everyone thinks they're going to get some ridiculously cheap cars but the truth of the matter is the manufacturers haven't been making them to sell to, to have a, a glut of them to be able to sell cheaply so i'm not sure whether that's going to happen but one point of discussion that's really been popping up recently is the fact that we've had this mot extension period and it's meant that basically when your car got towards within in the last seven days of its mot being due it would automatically get extended for another six months now let's face it people Generally, don't bother to look at their car anymore in any kind of maintenance. Uh, And if you want to see how to do that, have a look at our website because Graham's done a number of different uh, videos that explain how to look after your car properly. So we're not going to go into it now because you can do that in your own time. Have some homework on us. Um, Homeschooling, there you go, Uh, who knew? Um, But there are a number of things you need to do to make sure your car's safe, and people just aren't doing it. So cars are going into garages the people saying oh you're know, you sliding around because you've got no you've got no tread on your tires or why is it going bang because they haven't put any oil in it um and actually i think that the calls to to, to stop this extension um have been entirely justified i think now that you can go out there and relatively easily get an mot within a short space of time people need to be doing this you
3: know, the MOT uh, testers the Independent Garage Association they reckon that there's over a million cars on the road that shouldn't be on the road because they're simply not safe so they've had the benefit of the extension and those cars were possibly marginal to start with but certainly now the, 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 I'm sure there's many vehicles on the road that just simply shouldn't be there.
2: Peugeot, for example
3: yeah <laughs> It was interesting. There was a list of the statistics that uh, the uh, D- Department of Transport have just published, which was uh, MOTs for cars between three and five years old. Interestingly, if you owned a Japanese car, you were probably well pleased with the results, and if you owned a French car, you probably weren't. Um, <laughs> just to the Honda Shocking. Jazz, ninety over ninety-five percent passed. Uh, the MOT at first ask, uh, the Honda CRV second, the Toyota Prius, um, and the RAV4. The the only oddity in there was the Mercedes GLA. Curiously, it was that model, but uh, there's a story there, I'm sure. But the bottom of that uh, uh, pile was um, the Renault Megane, who, uh, <laughs> of which uh, 78%. Um, uh, only passed their MOT at first go, so uh, and the Citroens and Renos and so on uh, were all in that bottom uh, five or ten cars. So, um, uh, well, I uh, not. Uh, not good. I wonder,
2: was there uh, was there any correlation with mileage on there? Because speaking purely from a, our local demographic and local populace, a, a Honda Jazz is invariably driven by. A lady in her older years, uh, with uh, with possibly slightly blue hair, driven at 33 miles an hour, regardless of what the speed limit is, everywhere and always just about on the wrong side of the road. But typically very short <laughs> local journeys, so lots of MOTs come down to, uh, to things like tyres and, and brakes wear and tear on the vehicle, so... I dare say a a Honda Jazz owned by a little old deer at its third MOT has probably only done 4,000 miles, so not had the chance to wear the tires out yet. Hmm.
1: No, that's that's true enough. I have noticed that years ago, when you were driving at the beginning of every traffic queue, the start of every traffic queue, there would always be a Rover 214 or 216. You don't see Rover 214 or 216 anymore. You rarely see Rovers, let's be honest. At the beginning of every piece of slow-moving traffic now, there is a Honda Jazz. This this is a universal constant, like it always used to be. Volvos that were undoubtedly up your chaff and possibly in your boot already. That got <laughs> replaced by BMWs and subsequently Audis. Yes, I know. But this is the uh, stereotype. I, I, I have has the car the car in front been replaced now with the Honda Jazz? I think it probably has
3: well, somebody, I think you're right what was that joke that used to be the, the you could always tell the, the Skoda driver because he was the one on a dual carriageway or set of lights that pulled up behind the milk float
1: <laughs>
3: that's an old joke
1: there's so many of why does the Ford have the heated rear screen so your hands don't get cold when you're pushing it in the winter all the, <laughs> all the classics yeah. Oh the Dan, let's get
3: us started on those. I shouldn't have digressed in that particular direction.
2: But uh, yes, we, we we do have the MOT extension for six months, as we know. But uh, I mean, our advice would uh, would be if your local and trusted garages reopen for MOT tests, then it's uh, it's maybe not a bad idea to drop it in for one anyway. Uh, and indeed, a service if it's due, just to make sure the car is safe. And uh, and as well, just for 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 technical reasons, the. MOT extension didn't come in, weirdly enough, until six or seven days after lockdown was announced. So it it was recommended that everybody went home and hibernated. A week later, the extension came into force. So it could be the case that if your MOT expired on the 26th, 27th, 28th of March that you didn't get an extension... Uh, whereas if it expired on the the fourth of April, let's say, then you would have done. So uh, if you are in doubt, then head to our website and you'll uh, you'll find a useful link on there to check the MOT status of your vehicle. So pop your registration number in there and have a look, because uh, to fall foul of the law on a on a technicality would uh, would be irritating, costly, and possibly dangerous as well.
1: If you want a bit of a change from clapping for carers, we can do classics for carers again, which is good news. So the show, which we had back in May, has come back again. And we've got that this weekend, which is the 7th of June. And we expect to see some more uh, brilliant classics, vintage and cars in any kind of state. I quite enjoy these, particularly ones where I don't have to put a plaque on the car. Because I could put a picture of the car up when it was clean and all running. Um... And or in my ownership potentially <laughs> because uh, when you have these sort of classic meets you could you could turn up in anything you like really if you fancied turning up in a a Ferrari 250 GTO why not because you have to post up a picture of your car in inverted commas and and you can pitch up with it I really enjoyed it because before we've had meets on Facebook and actually what you can do is turn up in a car and get your mates to bring some of yours as well if you fancy it or you can just pop home at lunchtime and go and bring another one up because why not and these are things that. Uh, and I admit this is a first world problem. If you happen to want to go to a car show and you have more than one car to take, you have to choose. Don't have to do that online. That's definitely a plus for me. And you don't have to clean it, which is also a plus for me. Probably not for Jim, though. <laughs> Good. He has no comments on this. Uh, <laughs> and something else that we looked at in a previous podcast was, of course, the auction that was happening at Bonhams. Now, this was all being done for charity and, and Graham, you've been keeping in touch, and and you've seen some of the items that have gone through, haven't you?
3: Well, I, yes, I was very impressed with some of the numbers. Uh, uh, one that I thought was particularly interesting was the uh, the uh, one off day track day at Goodwood, which was your car. That's it, just you. Uh, twenty five grand that went for, so you can circulate Goodwood as much as you like for twenty five grand. But if you spent a little more money, if you added another twelve, I think it was twelve and a half. Uh, grand to that uh, you could do so in Lewis's race suit from last year So uh, there were a lot of very generous people gave gave stuff for that and uh, of course Bonhams did so uh, without any fees on their part and I I think it was, was £400,000 I think roughly raised by that so um, well done them and well done everybody that uh, put their hands in their pockets and bought stuff and well done for Let's
2: all the people rent, rent that of um, golf donated stuff like
1: Golf club
3: yeah absolutely
1: and, and it, i not find any matching places
2: what so but somehow by doing that my uh my apple watch pinged up and said it couldn't find any places to go and play golf club
1: probably thought you're having a seizure um so i'm going to talk about small wins here just very quickly at the moment fuel prices still relatively low which means you can tank your car up and you can actually now go somewhere with it that's good news car insurance usually not great news now Three of my cars are insured by Admiral. they don't sponsor me anyway, and they say they give it to me for free. But I received a refund, or I'm about to receive a refund, they sent me an email to say so, um, to say they're going to be giving me 75 quid back.
3: Yeah, I, very nice. I actually got, uh, of course I've got three cars with them as well, and uh, yes they did indeed send me 75 quid, it's already in the bank. Well in fact it's already been spent, but there you go. And I'm sure... Other insurance companies will do something similar. Some might need to be prompted first. You might need to ask them the question rather than them volunteering. But like you, Michael, I got the email and within a few days I got the money, which I thought was very, very decent of them. I might even reuse them.
1: Yeah, you know, and I I think fair play to them for doing that. I know a couple of others are doing this as well. Um, Direct line, you click on... I'm driving less because you're doing less mileage, and they give you some money back. I don't know how much it's going to be, but they, they apparently do. And there are a few others that uh, that are certainly, as you say, going to have to follow suit here. But but fair play to, to Admiral. Um, it's one of those rare occasions where I, I, I feel very glad <laughs> to, to to receive something back from the the insurance company rather than the, the sort of the, the every year going. Oh goodness, is that what the renewal was going to be. But that's actually paid for. Um, Half the car insurance for the Mini for the year. Um, and that's six months free motion. You can't really argue with that, can you? That's that great news. i have to buy another car just to, just to fill the gap. Just, just to <laughs>
2: celebrate, why not?
1: And other small wins, of course, things that you left in your car that you forgot that you'd put in there before you stopped having to drive it everywhere. Because um, a lot of the cars just haven't moved. they just out in the driveway. So it's that moment when you get in there and suddenly find a fiver in your door bin. That is good news. That pint of milk
3: wasn't what it was, though. <laughs>
2: yes. uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you left a few oranges or apples uh, somewhere in the car, you'd have a shock as well, I think.
1: Yeah, that Twix has long stopped being two fingers and now it's just a brown, soggy mess. <laughs> There's no answer to that, is there?
3: Well, yesterday was uh, was the 50th anniversary of the, the death of uh, Bruce McLaren, and, and Kiwi Grand Prix racer and sports car racer, sports car designer and so on. And uh, Zac Brown unveiled a bronze statue of him in the factory at uh, at McLaren because, you know, obviously that's the company he founded. He lent his name to it. But um, sadly killed in in what really was a freak accident at uh, at Goodwood. He was testing one of the uh, McLaren sports cars, uh, having won the Can-Am Championship twice with with those monsters. If, if you go to Goodwood and you hear those cars, they are monsters. And uh, it seems as though some bodywork became detached, the car flipped, and uh, he was killed instantly. 32 years old, what a tragedy.
1: From the archive, Amanda
0: McLaren, Bruce McLaren's daughter.
3: Do you think your father would ever have considered that a relatively shoestring operation that he started could have been so successful, so diverse, and, and have ended up with the position it has in motorsports today?
0: That's a very interesting question. Of course, we have grown enormously as a group of companies. The technology has moved on enormously, but Simon Taylor, the racing journalist, said a few years ago, the technology's changed, but the passion hasn't. And that's something that's continued on. But of course, my father had designed, built, and was driving prototype road car the m6b gt as he died and it was his dream to diversify the racing company into road cars and what mclaren automotive are now doing with that road car business is what my father was planning to do
3: so it's taken a little while to get there but but certainly his personal dream is now being fulfilled and yours as well
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm working now as brand ambassador for McLaren Automotive and very proud to be part of a company that I really believe my father would be proud of too. I wouldn't make the link between his name, what he achieved, and the current product if I didn't think he would like what we are doing. When you look at the synergies and similarities between that M6B GT and our current cars, they look very similar. Mid-engine, rear-wheel drive. They've got the dihedral doors, same as my father's original car. And so, yes, I think he would be very happy with what the company is doing.
2: When Gates and I were having a sit-down chat with, uh, with Mr. Gavitz, or Bob, as we call him, Clang, he, uh, he, he suggested Lewis <laughs> was the best he'd, uh, he'd ever raced against, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he did, which is what made it slightly surprising when he reportedly said this week that he wasn't all he was cracked up to be. No, that doesn't make sense.
3: I think, as Andrew suggested, that was uh, perhaps his PR company putting words in his mouth because nobody's been talking about him while uh, while the racing's all shut down. And, and, you know, in terms of their respective abilities, uh, I know where my money lies. And Robert is a very nice guy. Uh, Lewis is a very nice guy. I've met them both. Clang. Well, indeed, but in terms of their um, uh, actions on the track, you know, one's got six world championships and the other hasn't.
2: Well, you you say that, and uh, I I think two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine spec Kibitza was it, it would have been fascinating to see Kibitzer in a competitive car up against Lewis in a similarly competitive car. Um, or maybe even his teammates, that would have been even better. Because I, I think Kibitza had something about him. Whether it would have been consistent or not, uh, I'm not sure. But I think on his day, Kibitza could, could take the fight to Lewis and go toe-to-toe with him and uh, maybe even come out on top. Uh, mm. I, I think the uh, the crash that Robert suffered and, and the resulting injuries really did rob us of, of quite a special driver there. I'd I'd have loved to have seen mm. him carry on and and it's a great
3: shame yeah i'd like to have seen him carry on definitely and the the crash was a a tragedy I, i'm reminded of um alessandro Nannini, who again a, a a great driver that was just coming to probably to the to the peak of his abilities and was involved in that terrible helicopter crash uh and lost part of his arm and although it was all put back together and so on and he was never it was never the same again and uh the history of motorsport is, is, is littered with people who have not quite made it because an accident has robbed them of, of uh, the best of their abilities and the best of their career. Perhaps, you know, we were we talking a couple of weeks ago about Sterling. A classic example of that, you know, the accident in '62 took him out when he still had potentially 10 more years in him uh, yeah. at the very top of the motorsport.
2: And I think you can, uh, yeah, you can look at a few other drivers. Uh, Johnny Herbert, of course, had the the rather nasty accident at Brands, and and well, smashed his his feet to pieces, and and first, I think they were hanging off at one point, weren't they? But yeah, to yeah. to even be able to get back in a racing car at all, let alone a Formula One car, let alone to stand on the podium and and win Grand Prix, is testament to the man's skills and ability. So it's, uh, mm. I, I think it does show that. That cut above that you can go through something like that and and still come out to be to be a winner or to be somewhat competitive because you know although although Kibitza's pace relative to George Russell certainly I I don't think in any way reflecting Kibitz's ultimate pace uh, but the fact that he was doing it with pretty much one arm. Shows the level of the man's skill. I mean, uh, uh, anyone sat on this podcast had, had struggled to do half a lap in a Formula One car without their head falling off, or let alone <laughs> be anywhere competitive. And uh, and the fact that he could do that with with pretty much only one arm is is just staggering. Um, and if uh, sure. if they were all working, I think that would have been a different story this year.
3: The the classic example of that is possibly Archie Scott Brown, going back quite a lot further, who. Um, uh, from birth, uh, had one incomplete arm, multiple birth defects, but he was still in his day an extremely quick racer in whatever you put him in. Uh, he could make it shine and, and achieve some spectacular results. There are others. I, I'm sort of reminded of, the, there's a piece in Fangio's autobiography where he, in a race in South America, the padding uh, or heat resistant padding came off the exhaust pipe and he finished the race he actually won the race uh, after about 10 laps of his uh, right leg i think it was being up against the exhaust pipe Uh, and he said uh, he could smell himself cooking literally Uh, and he burnt away part of his calf and um He sustained himself by a mental game. He persuaded himself that he was actually wading through a snowdrift and that his survival depended on getting through that snowdrift. We've talked earlier about what remarkable people Formula One drivers are and and, um, uh, if you can do that, you you certainly can. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary. (laughs)
1: I just want to come to this really quickly. There's a friend of mine who has got a mini GP, which is his baby, and he uh, takes it out and he goes all over the place with it. So he might be uh, a drive up to Scotland, Wales, etc. a number of different rallies. Now, he, he's been posting these up whilst we've been locked down as a way of sort of cheering up everybody, as a way of remembering places that, that we've been and places we want to go to. And there's definitely a few rallies that I think... I would like to get the car out to. Now, we mentioned the Italian job earlier on. There is an Italian job rally each year which raises money for charity. And it's something that I've always quite fancied doing. I'd like to take the Mini out there, drive around on the roof. I appreciate it's not a classic Mini or proper Mini as some people have written to me in angry letters uh, to tell me at uh, UK Motor Talk Towers, obviously, box 19, whatever it is. I'll stop Um... writing, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) But actually i would love to get out there get across to italy get across the fiat car factory and do this as a run now there are loads of companies out there that will put together epic runs as well for you so they take you down the top gear driving roads. you know there might be um trips to the alps i mean there's there's so many things out there and i've always quite fancied doing a two-week driving tour i don't know about you guys is there anything that really tickles the pickle i've always rather fancied Retracing the Mia Amelia
3: just because it's, you know, it's a thousand miles. And uh, I, th- I think that would be a rather nice, if done leisurely, I don't expect to, um, to do it apace. But it is now one of the great classic rallies. So uh, it is a rally uh, not a race, uh, as they're careful to tell us all. But uh, you do revisit the entire route of the original uh, Mia Amelia.
2: I just had a really good idea that we could do that in the track car. Then I realise that's probably a really stupid idea, isn't
1: it? Well, we did, uh, we did a, a road rally in the track car, and I seem to remember that I hit a very big bum because on a very dappled and potholy road, and dislocated your anus. Um, uh, so you when well, he
2: broke my spine that day, my spine actually fell out of my anus, which was, uh, I think which it was probably painful, did to say the
1: least. So maybe not. I think maybe a, a different GT car. Uh, I mean there's lots of opportunities I say there's lots of opportunities there's not at the moment but there are certainly opportunities out there where you can buy a car for a few hundred quid and then sell it at the end as well that's a a pretty cool thing to do I think I'd be tempted to try and get the biggest most luxurious barge you know like an old Lexus or something something big that's not a huge amount of money to buy but would be amazingly wafty to drive over it. A, a Volvo's got to be a contender for this, surely, Graham? You know,
3: he's... for uh, for certainly for distance. I did uh, many many years ago. I did several years road rallies uh, in an assortment of company cars, and I can remember the particular dealership. It was a Nissan Bluebird. I started this up. That, that dates it. <laughs> uh, and 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 the first time it went into the garage for a service, and the service manager phoned me up and said. You do seem to be going through an awful lot of front disc pads. <laughs> it's hardly a surprise the way we were driving. And, and Phil, uh, who's also a colleague of ours, uh, was, was my navigator. Uh, he drove once and I navigated. I was hopeless at the navigating and we finished up wrong way up in a ditch. But that's another story.
2: Well, as we've spoken about previously, there are there are various hire car companies all around the world with uh, stocks of cars piled up waiting to be hired out. So uh, perhaps we could uh, we could look at doing that next summer in uh, in some hire cars with the collision damage excess waiver paid up front and uh, and see how we get on. What was uh, <laughs> what was Sir Sterling's
3: record on the Mila Mila. Uh mm. He averaged o- over a hundred miles an hour uh, for the entire distance. Very impressive. Uh, I think that. I think he said the car was capable of about 170. But, of course, uh, he always paid uh, great tribute to Jenks, to Dennis Jenkinson, for his, um, uh, as they named it, Bog Roll, which was uh, the rolled-up map with all the signals on. So, you know, they they practised the route, I think, twice. Jenks wrote down as much as he could, uh, and then Sterling simply did as he was told, and if he was told to go flat, he went flat uh and apparently it only went wrong once when they took a, over, over a small bridge which uh, jenks hadn't marked on this um, this uh, map roll uh, so they took off at about 170 you said, luckily they uh, they landed straight
2: so uh, yes well i think ev- even if we could hire something exotic and rather powerful you know Four, five, six hundred brake horsepower. Uh, I think even in perfect conditions, with the best nav and uh, and some proper rally pace notes, I think you'd struggle to get anywhere near that, wouldn't you? So, uh, I think uh, I think we'll leave Sir Sterling's record where it is, as a, as a mark of respect more than anything, and uh, maybe just take it at a more leisurely pace.
1: Yeah, it would be great fun to do. If you have a hankering to to do a bit of research, we'd love to hear where you want to go because. There are a number of different places. I've always wanted to drive over to Spa. I'm sure there must be a way of putting a, a rally into that and also spending some time just travelling the Alps. But there are some people that are really dedicated to doing this and there are some fantastic rallies. So if you want to do a bit of a, a Google, check out YouTube. It's worth having a look at the uh, uh, Budapest to rally rally um, and also having a look at overlandsite.com because there's some interesting stuff on there. They've got some great videos on YouTube. Just see what they're up to, and I think uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it.
3: We've been talking of sort of fantasy rallies, but uh, it's nice to find companies like BespokeRallies.com, who uh, they might fantasise about their rallies, but they then make them work. And the the one that we have talked about in the past was the the sort of Frangio recreation of the South American Rally, which was a very, very long-distance rally on terrible roads of the sort that um, Fangio uh, raced and rallied on in the earliest days of
1: his career before he got into uh, Grand Prix racing. I think when it comes to these kind of trips, though, although we'd love the idea of going on them, I think not having the experience behind us, or indeed knowing where you're going, or indeed necessarily having all the parts and everything you might need should you break down it does make a lot of sense to go with a company that understand how to put together these kind of trips. Yes, you can plan, you can work your way through Google, but I think if you've got that experience already and you've got that experience behind you, it offers a fantastic opportunity to be able to get out there and do it. If of course you can afford to, um, when it comes to a fantasy rally, I think these probably are the ultimate because you know that you're going to be going on a proven route. You know that you're, Going to be seeing some fantastic things, and you know you've got the support behind you to make it all work.
3: Well, I wholeheartedly agree with with what Michael's just said. If you if you really want to do uh, a rally of that nature and uh, something as challenging as that, you've you've got to do it with the with the right people organising it and people who've driven the route, who've got in place all of the things that you need, all of the support vehicles, trucks, experts, uh, and everything that that you need to to take on something like that, because, you know, generally these rallies in older cars, a little more temperamental, and um, you are not going to be able to call upon uh, the AA, the RAC, or any of the other rescue services to, um, to come to the middle of the Sahara Desert to rescue you, if that is uh, where you find yourself having broken down. You need a good support network. Don't do this on your own. Quite right, too.
1: And on that note, we have literally talked about all the things that have entered our head this evening uh, and thankfully you can only hear some of them due to the way that this has been edited either way we've loved talking to you except for maybe graham because he's gone already he couldn't stand it any longer so he is gone so it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from jim
2: and on uh, on behalf of graham it's goodbye from him as well
0: goodbye uk motor talk a first take media production